morning, Watermark. Merry Christmas. Glad to be with you this morning. We are, as we wrap up the story series. So we had creation, fall, redemption. Today we're going to be talking about restoration. And as I uh, saw that I was going to be teaching restoration, what immediately came to my mind is our 55-year-old house. So Laura and I live in a 55-year-old house that we've lived in for the last two years. And over the course of those two years, we have done a lot of restoration. And it's not because of the previous owners. It's because it's 55 years old. And so there's just some things that have been falling apart over the course of time. So two years ago, we were like brand new into the house. I think we've been there for like two months. We moved in on Thanksgiving. And by January, like the heater's not working. Things are kind of weird. So we have this person over to check it out. And he's like, hey, you need a new heater. I'm like, come on. We just had it inspected. We just moved in. And he's like, no, the whole thing needs, needs to be replaced. I was like, well, like when? He's like, like I wouldn't sleep here tonight. I was like... So what's the problem? He's like, well, it's, it's totally rusted out. And when that fails, there's going to be carbon monoxide released throughout. It actually could burn the house down. Um, you might not know because you've already been killed by the toxic gas. I was like, great. When can you have it installed? So literally the next day on a Saturday, this is, you know, we always get these Christmas presents from our, our deteriorating house. A year ago, at Christmas time, Laura's like, you know what was happening last year at this time? I'm like, no, because I've just blacked it out. Uh, I'm upstairs, I think showering, and she starts screaming. I'm like, what is going on down there with the kids? I go downstairs, there's literally water just cascading out of a wall, like where our washer and dryer hookup is, just pouring out, running out into there. I'm like, oh, this is terrible, so turn off the shower, clearly. Going to the bathroom, our bathtub has filled up with something I can't mention here with integrity in church. The toilet's overflowing like into the entire house. So we have the plumber out. I'm like, all right, well, something clearly just backed up. I don't know. We're just figuring this out at this house. He clears it. I'm like, great, good. It happens again the very next day. And I'm like, that plumber was terrible. He wasn't terrible. He scoped it then. He like sends a a scope, like an endoscopy for the house. And he's like... Hey, um, so this neighborhood has uh, cast iron pipes. They were installed about 50 years ago, and the timeline, the life expectancy for cast iron is about 50 years. It's literally just collapsed. Like, it fell in upon itself, just dirt compacted. (laughs) I mean, it was all, so of course it's like overflowing into every area of our house. And then this Christmas, uh, what we received for our restoration gift (laughs) from our 55-year-old house, Our windows, like there was a gap this big, cold air, or hot air last week, just blowing through. Um, Our son's room, anytime it would rain, more water. I mean, it would just drip down like a waterfall. It's like like one of these noise machines you can sleep at night, just trickle of water. But it was like, (laughs) all right, that's the water I can see. Where's the water I can't see? And here's the thing. I'm restoring this house, like what feels like monthly. There's just a restoration process that's happening in the house. But one day, you know what's going to happen to the house? After all my restoration, the thing's going to get bulldozed. It will be bulldozed after all my effort, like laid to the ground, and somebody's going to build a new McMansion on it. It'll just be, there'll be a new house there. After all of my labor, all my work to restore this house, one day it will all like seem in vain. But that's exactly what's going on in our lives, but it's not in vain. It's never in vain. We are in a process of restoration. We are subject to decay. Uh, I'm clearly aware of this as a 46-year-old. 
Um, my body subject to decay, but we're in this in-between as we're journeying home unto a final restoration. But right now, we know this with the aches and pains physically and those spiritually of sin, but there is a restoration that's happening as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us into the image of Christ. But one day, like our house, I will be, you will be laid to the ground. And you're like, well, was all that restoration in vain? No. Because the restoration story is that we will be raised again with a glorified body that will never perish, that new house that will never age in a new heaven and new earth at Christ's coming. And so today we're going to talk about the culmination of the story, restoration. There's a lot of ground to cover because the restoration is already and not yet as we go through it. And so this is restoration, how God is making all things new. The definition of restoration, just like in a a worldly standpoint, is the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. We remember creation in the fall. Creation, we walked with God, then sin entered in, death entered in, and there was division. But this restoration is that we're being restored unto God through Jesus, now indwelt by the Spirit, shaped into the image of Christ, being progressively sanctified, one day glorified, and then return to him holistically to live forever in the dwelling place of God. And so today, these three points that we're gonna talk about is a restoration to your soul, a restoration to your soul through Jesus. Secondly, we're gonna talk about restoration to and with God's people, to God's people and with God's people, and thirdly, a restoration to God's dwelling place. Each one of those, and you can pray for me, each one of those points has three sub-points, so we'll see if I pull it off. The first one, restoration of your soul. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When it says new, I want to make a point that it doesn't say better. It's not improved upon. You are not better. You are new in Jesus. He has made you into a new creation. I saw this uh, firsthand. I was in Sudan for the summer, uh, my second year in seminary in 2009. And I was working with these alcoholics as a recovering alcoholic. They were meeting under this tree and, and doing discipleship and daily sobriety in, by the power of Christ. And there was one guy there named Kosamos. We didn't have, we were trying to worship, but we didn't have any instruments. I can't play or carry a tune to save my life. And this guy shows up with this crazy Sudanese harp. I've got a picture of it. This is Kosamos. Kosamos. Uh, was a town drunk, trusted in Jesus, got set free from this like lethal moonshine that they were making, and he brings this crazy harp. And I'm like, through my translator, I'm like, Kosamos, what is that? What is that instrument? Like, is that some kind of traditional Sudanese instrument? He's like, no, it's a landmine. Like, excuse me? It's like, because of Darfur and all that mess as the Muslims came down to, to kill off the Christians in the South, they're now two independent countries, but there were landmines in the fields, like they would be marked off with white ribbon, like don't go in that field, it hasn't been cleared of landmines yet, but this, he had dug up a landmine, taken out all the ordinances and explosives, wrapped it in a goat skin, strung it like a harp, and he would play in our recovery meetings these songs that we might worship, and I will never forget Kosamas's landmine harp, because I'm looking at his harp, I'm like, Kosamas, your harp is you. Like you were the one filled with destruction and death, and God cleaned you and cleared you. This is a pearl snap shirt, I almost tore it open. Would have been, 
Could have been really bad. <laughs> uh, um, cleared you and cleaned you of all that death and then made you a thing of worship. I'll never forget it. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking about me and I'm like, that's the gospel. The old has gone, the new has come. It's just true that if you were in Christ, he has taken out all of that sin and death and made you new. It's why Bailey can share her story in the Watermark News because that's not her. She has a new identity. She can like, you can read about my past. My past is not condemning upon me because I am a new creation. I'm not better. I'm not different. I'm new in Jesus. Romans 6, 13 says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from, think about the landmine, from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. An instrument for righteousness, like that instrument, him playing that harp. But here's the thing, is sometimes we take that ourselves as like a, a landmine that has been gutted and now strung and used for worship for God, and we'll use it in both ways. We're like, well, one day I'll use it for worship and the next day I'll use it for destruction as I return back to porn or, or my control or my anger or my rage or my lying or my cheating or whatever. But I wanna, on Sundays I wanna worship and Tuesday night at the porch and when I go to the nine, but then there's other times when I'm with my coworkers or alone in my bedroom. But then, Lord, I wanna lay my hands. It's December 24th, I wanna worship and we go back and forth and vacillate. And so there's two people, one, you need to trust in Jesus. You're still filled with death. You've never experienced the life of God, the newness that I'm talking about. You're striving to become better. What you need to become is new. To place your faith in Jesus, who died for your sins and rose again so that you can too and have a new life. Others of you, it's not to trust in Jesus for the first time, but to entrust to him your entire life. And quit using your landmine harp once for worship and the next day for destruction, but instead to say entirely, my life is yours. It's all for you. First Peter 4, 1 through 2, it says that we are no longer to live the rest of our, our, our human lives for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. It says this, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Whenever I get tempted to drink, again, and I do, there's times when I see everybody enjoying something and I'm like, man, that would be nice. I could probably have one. Like the spirit reminds me of 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. It's like, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, my drunkenness. It's like, nah. 12 years of alcohol and alcoholism, that's enough. You don't need to tangle with that which has mastered you. Secondly, restoration of identity. So restoration of soul, now restoration of identity. Colossians 2, 14 through 15. By canceling the record of debt, it's like a, a legal record of all the indebtedness, all the crimes, all the sin. This was a record of debt that stood opposed to us with its legal demands, meaning Satan could point at that and say they're guilty because of the sin, because of everything they've done, they are guilty, God. You know it, you're holy, they're sinful, and therefore they can't be with you. It has legal demands. This, he, God, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, Jesus. You know, the tomb is still empty in Jerusalem. You can visit it. 
Some people think of the garden tomb. Some people think of the church of the Holy Sepulcher. But there's still a tomb in Jerusalem. Debate it however you might. There is still an empty tomb. But do you know where the cross is? Gone. The cross is gone. You see, the crux of restoration is the resurrection. Many, many people were hung upon a cross. Only one rose from the dead. And so the fact that you can visit the tomb has huge implications about our sin in the scripture that we just read because it said that all of our sin was nailed to the cross. And if the cross is gone, then so is the record of your sin. Now, last week, uh, David Marvin did an incredible job walking us through redemption. And we had, if you were here, we, t- we had these ornaments and we would, sh- in Sharpie, write our sin upon them. And then we hung them on a Christmas tree as an image of hanging them upon the cross, that all of our sin was nailed to the cross. And I sat there and I was thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what we do though? with our identity, because again, this is restoration of our identity. We hang it on the cross, we're like, we know I'm forgiven, Lord, I know I'm forgiven. And then in a lesser moment of doubt, we take it back off the tree, and just like wear it upon us, like, well now I'm just a worthless drunk. I was trafficked as a child. My sexual sin, I'm I'm an adulterer. That's just who I am, that's my identity. And I think that it's time that we take those and and put them off, that we don't have that identity upon us. Because it says in Revelations 12 that the enemy, Satan, the great serpent of old, it says that he accuses us, the brethren, day and night before God. Accuses us, saying guilty, they're guilty, look at their sin, you know there's legal demands, you're holy, they're full of sin. But it doesn't end there, it says that we have overcome him by the blood of the lamb the communion that we just took, the cup that was poured out, we have overcome him by the blood of the land and the word of our testimony. Say, no, that is what I have done, but that is not who I am. That is not my identity anymore. My identity is firmly fixed in Christ. I am not a sinner who saints. I am a saint who sins. And so my identity is in Jesus. I am not an alcoholic. I am not an adulterer. I am not a liar and a cheat. That identity is gone. It has been nailed to the cross and the cross is gone. When I, uh, to try to save some money, I demoed our old kitchen, talk about restoration of a house, which really should be a step in regeneration. It was incredibly therapeutic. Uh, so I, I demo our kitchen, but I didn't just leave it like that, right? Like now, now it's like in a, it's, it's an unusable room. I've just demolished something that was somewhat functional, although broken down and rotted floorboards and all that, but I I would never just leave it like that. Instead, someone came in, uh, more powerful and skilled than me, and restored it. And so it is in Christ. It's two theological terms. One is called expiation. One is called imputation. And they both must happen. Expiation is the removal of sin. That the sin is removed, but it... But God just can't leave us that in this like sinless state. He then imputes righteousness to us. So he takes our sin, puts it off onto Christ, then he takes Christ's righteousness and clothes us in that. Expiation and imputation. It's Romans uh, 5, 20, sorry, not Romans, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where he says, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. What a gift, restoration of identity. Third, restoration is already but not yet. 
The restoration's already, but not yet. And the reason why I say that is because you've been restored. If you are in Christ, you have been restored spiritually, justified, made right with God. The restoration has begun, but it's not yet. It's not fully complete in totality. And like we know this. As Laura just was recently walking through breast cancer, and if you haven't tracked, she's, she's okay. Like she's passed the treatment, and we pray it'll never come back. But, but there were nights as she was asleep beside me, and I'm laying there in bed and I can't sleep and I've, I've not told this to anyone really. I'm lying on my bed and there's been probably three times in my life that I've done this, but, I, but I'm literally with my hands up reaching, I'm not praying with my hands lifted as scripture instructs us to. I'm lifting my hands because I'm like, God, I, I could really use a hug right now. I need to be held right now. Because I feel like you're silent and I don't feel like you're present. I'm just reaching up. And you know what happened? My hands laid back onto the bed. Because we are living in an in-between. But I know in Revelation 21.4 that it says one day he will wipe away every tear. And I can't wait to feel his hand on my face wiping away those tears, and I know that you've got them too. We all do. Everyone has pain in the battle that they're walking through. And so the restoration is already, but it is not yet, but it will be. It is coming, and he will make all things new. That's God's restoration of our souls. Secondly, there's God's restoration to and with God's people. Ephesians 2, 18 through 22, for through him, Jesus, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Here's a Trinitarian passage already. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, which is just separate and in isolation, but your fellow citizens, now we have an, an ingathering and a joining to a people with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, talking about the scriptures here, is Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. He lives and dwells in you. The spirit as a deposit guaranteeing. Restoration to God's family, fellow citizens, saints, members of the household of God. You know, Laura's cancer journey, like, this is not just me, Laura, and a couple of doctors. I'm, I'm thinking about this church alone. I don't know how we would have navigated through it. Probably, like, it's in the hundreds, 300 or more people. I can think of all the different ways as, as somebody showing up with donuts, and another with meals, and another taking our kids, and another helping with scheduling and another taking something off my plate so that I can run home to help with the kids while Laura goes, like hundreds and hundreds of people, the body of Christ. And so this is restoration to God's family because we can't walk this journey alone. We can't. And so some of you, and I don't say this out of any kind of like condemnation, I say this as like all carrot and no stick. You need to be like joined to the body of Christ to, to come here to be a part because your storm is coming and we're not to walk alone for the body of Christ to walk around you. And so join the church. Go to the connecting events that happen regularly and become a part of a church. And if it's not this one, then another Bible preaching, Christ exalting church where you'll be led and shepherded and cared for. It's crucial, there's no other way. 
And some of you, you're a member of the church, but you haven't joined the community group or you're in between. And let me tell you, there's no, it's God's provision that we walk together. We would not have made it through that season without the church, without our community group who carried us through that time. Don't go through as you are restored to God's family. Secondly, restored from the pains of isolation. From the pains of isolation. So uh, this past week, I went to a dermatologist. You maybe can see I had something frozen off my face. I was like, how long will that last? Because I'm teaching Sunday. She's like, it'll be, it'll be gone. It's not gone. It's a lying, lying dermatologist. But I go to the dermatologist, and I'm, I'm a you know, pretty good candidate for skin cancer. So I know I'm going to get stuff burned off, frozen off, scraped off, biopsied. But I didn't expect this. I went to the dermatologist after I delayed it because of COVID and all that, just things getting canceled. And I have had something in my hand. I thought I was just like subject to decay. You know, my body's getting old. But every time I hold a pen or a fork, which is quite often, there's this like shooting pain in my hand. I'm like, man, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's cancer. And she gets out. She, she holds my hand very gently and takes out this surgical scalpel that looks like, I mean, she could have just like, lopped off my finger if she wasn't careful. And she just starts scraping. She goes, oh, you know what? I think that's a piece of glass. How long have you been feeling this? And I was like, six months? <laughs> She's like, you should have come sooner. <laughs> and she goes, it, um, maybe it's not glass because it's colored. I'm like, is it blue? I'm colorblind. She's like, it's blue. I'm like, yeah, that was a casserole dish that busted on our front porch when someone was bringing food for cancer treatment and we we're picking up the shards of glass. That's, that's been in there since June. I tell you that because I think we've got glass. Well, I don't think, I know we do. We've got glass stuck in our soul. I've been carrying it around a long time. And you know who can get it out? You're like, Jesus. No. Jesus will forgive you. But God has so ordained that your brothers and sisters in Christ are the ones that can get the glass out of your soul. It's James 5.16 where he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. Why? Why, God? Why would we do that? That seems kind of humiliating and embarrassing. So that you may be healed. And so some of you need to send a text right now or like nudge the person beside you and say, hey, I've got, I've got glass in my soul. And you'll get a text back because they'll be like, wait, wait, what? That was autocorrect. What do you mean you have glass in your soul? I need to talk to you. I need to confess something. There's something in me that's bringing about a lot of pain. And I need to confess it to you and you pray for me. And others of you, by way of application, you're like, I've never had anybody do that. I've never had anybody come to me and like confess sin. And I think it might be because when they come and they say, hey, I've got, I've got glass in my soul. There's something I need to confess. Instead of gently Taking it out, you've cut them with criticism and condemnation. And so they're not coming again. Not to you, at least. It says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, and we will be, you who are spiritual should restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Robert Murray McShane is known for saying, the seed of every sin known to human is in my heart. Like I'm capable of anything and everything. And so how could I ever condemn anyone else when they come to me to confess sin? 
Restoration from the pains of isolation. Another application is, um, I think with the shelter in place and COVID and all that, and I can't believe we're still talking about it, and now we got Omicron, it's just like, my goodness. You need to come out of isolation. It's become really convenient with the technological advances to sit at home and stream, and I'm clearly, you're like, I'm sitting here, but there's some that aren't. And I'm not throwing stones at you as you look at your laptop still in your pajamas, and I wish we all do too. We're like, man, it was cold out. You know, it was 39 when I walked in. I earned this. Uh, I get it. You know, we get sick kids or you're traveling, but there is a supernatural blessing that happens as you're here. Like when I'm at home and I'm streaming because of a sick kid or we're out of town or something, I'm not raising my hands and kind of like dancing to the rhythm or praying together corporately. I don't get to take communion. There's a blessing as God has ordained. Do not forsake meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing. And so for some of us, it became shelter in place, then it became sermon in place. And I'm just saying, like, let's come back. Be the body of Christ together out of the pains of isolation. Thirdly, the restoration for Christ's return. Uh, recently, we threw a, a staff Christmas party for the Regen team. And so all the Regen team was coming over. And our kids, like, man, talk about restoration. Every single day, they destroy our house. It's like it's intentional. They're like, come on, let's spill. Let's empty Legos. Let's put queso and salsa all over the playroom floor. I mean, it's like... It's, it's got to be intentional. And so every day, we put it all back together, which seems really in vain. You think we just like live in the mess, but we don't. We put it all back together. But Thursday night, region team's coming over Friday. Laura's like, hey, we've got to get ready for the party. She's upstairs, I think, getting the kids ready for bed. And I'm like cranking, just like throwing things in the dishwasher, putting the you know, cushions back where they belong and all of that. She walks down. She was like, whoa, it looks good. It looks like we don't even have children because it was so clean. Well, y'all, I was cleaning extra because company was coming over. There's a phrase, I've heard Blake Holmes say it a lot. Nothing cleans like company. (laughs) Laura and I have often said, we're like, you know what? We need to throw like a neighborhood gathering because we need a deep clean. And it just forces your hand. You put a date on the calendar and you're like, all right, well, got to fix the fence, got to paint the wall and got to get everything fixed. (laughs) Nothing cleans like company. Y'all, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And so nothing should clean like company. His coming should be our cleaning, that we would be ready as a bride without wrinkle, stain, or blemish at his appearing. Here it is in Titus 2, 11 and 13. And before, before I share the passage, I wanna, I wanna state this. There's a theological term called a hapax legomenon. It's a big theological term for meaning it is used one word or one phrase in the entirety of scripture. So the phrase that you're gonna hear is the blessed hope. That is the hapax legomenon. It happens once, one singular time in the entire anthology of scripture. There's one blessed hope. Listen for it. For the grace of God has appeared, this is Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us, here's the body of Christ, restored to God's people, To renounce, here's what the us is doing, us together, we're renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
which is an incredible Christological statement as well where it equates Jesus being God and that he is coming. This is our blessed hope and nothing cleans like company. Company is coming. Jesus is coming again and therefore may we be ready at his coming and you don't do that in isolation but with the people of God, the restoration for Christ's return. God restores our soul. He restores us to and with God's people and thirdly, God restores us to his dwelling place, the restoration to God's dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 15, three through four. Here's another one of the hapaks. For I've delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, only time used in all of scripture. So at that point, you hear first importance or blessed hope, like you're leaning in like, wait, what are you about to say? First importance, like utmost priority. What are you gonna say, Paul, to the Corinthians? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's the gospel in 10 words. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. He is the only one who rose from the dead. The resurrection is the crux of the issue. It would go on later in 1 Corinthians 15 and say, If the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is futile and in vain. We are still in our sins, and we, above all, are to be pitied. But the resurrection did happen. Christianity alone, the tomb is empty. Um, We, our kids, because they're seven, six, and four, talk a lot about Disneyland. They've never been, but they want to go. And so our seven-year-old, because he's heard the, like, legends from the other kids that have been, He says uh, to our kids, hey, you know that when you get to Disneyland, here's how it works. You go in, and then they put all the kids on a ride, and this ride is really difficult. It's really scary, and it zips around and all this, and if you're crying at the end, you don't get to go to Disneyland, but if you're not, then you get to go in. It's a kid ride test. (laughs) I'm listening to this. As someone who's been to Disneyland, I'm like, well, they either changed it or you're crazy. No joke, Penny, that's our oldest hill. Penny says, Daddy, I don't want to go to Disneyland. And I said, hey, baby, he's lying. He's never been. It's amazing. You're going to love it. We just have to leverage your future education and our retirement. But it's going to be awesome. And our oldest son goes, no, it, it really is. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Hill, have you ever been? Well, Dad, but it's true. Have you ever been? No, Dad, it's not true. And so it is with every other false dead religion. You see, you can visit Muhammad's grave in Medina, Saudi Arabia, and he told a lot of people what was on the other side and how to get there. And I'm like, yeah, but you've never been, bro. You've never been. So how can I trust what you say? Or Joseph Smith of the Mormons. You can visit his grave. It's in Nauvoo, Illinois. Walk right up to it, visit it. He told a lot of people what was on the other side and how to get there. Justin, you've never been. You've never been. You, like you saw a, a vision, wrote it down, that nobody else could see, but only you. I don't know, man. Sounds a lot like Muhammad's vision in the cave, actually, with the angel that said the things that might have been a demon, was a demon. I don't know what's on the other side for you. Or you got Buddha who's buried in part, he was burned in part, ashes, but then also the temple of the tooth. It's like, nah. 
You're telling me that I get reincarnated over and over and over again until I reach nirvana? But how do you know that? Because you've actually never crossed over to the other side. Jesus alone went to Disneyland, came back and said, I can tell you exactly what it's like. He did two round trips, came from heaven, incarnation, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died the death on a cross, told us what was on the other side. If I go, I prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Really? How can I trust you? Laid into the tomb, rose again, appeared to the disciples, appeared to 500, appeared to Paul, appeared to James. They wrote it down and then ascended to the father and he's coming back. Came from heaven, died into the grave, rose again, ascended to heaven, coming back. We can trust because he's been there. He alone was resurrected. So whatever he says is on the other side. You know he's telling the truth and that for others, they're still dead and liars. Jesus alone, you can trust me and I'm going first and I'm coming back. Restoration to God's dwelling place is home with Jesus. Restoration to home with Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 5 eight. yes, we are of good courage and we would rather, rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that we grieve with hope and not hope wishful thinking. It's hope as an anchor of certainty that the second a Christ follower closes their eyes and breathes their last, they are instantly in the presence of God. So Jesus could say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Not even at the resurrection, not at my second coming. Today, Paul says to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord with no soul sleep, nothing in between, immediately in the presence of God. And so some of you are living with that pain and loss and grieving because someone has, you are in this in-between where they've gone to be at home with the Lord and you need to know they are there and they're now outside of time just like God. They're not like missing you and longing you. There's not not tears and anguish in heaven. They're at peace. They are whole. And one day you will be reunited to them in Christ as David wrote or said in Psalm, sorry, 2 Samuel 12, when his child died, he will not come to me, but I will go to him because he rightly knew where he was. Someone in our community group this is just last night, received incredibly difficult news about a family member, a terminal diagnosis. This was their response in the text, not even knowing what I was preaching. I am heartbroken and grieving this terrible news, but, all caps, I know that he will ultimately be completely healed and with Jesus, and with that, I have hope and comfort. Yes, praise God for that. You see, you've got to know this before you enter into that season, that there is restoration to be home with Jesus. And here's what I would say, y'all. You've got neighbors that are winning yard of the month and they are dead in their sin. They're going to die and go to hell forever. And you don't know when that day is, whether they're driving on 75, drop dead of a heart attack, whatever it may be. And so we've got to tell them, you've got to like reach out to your neighbors and love them, invite them to dinner. Do you mind if we pray before a meal? If I ever share my story with you and then share the gospel through that, invite them to church. People are really willing to come to church on Christmas because it's this 
tradition still here in America. So you can invite them to one of those four services. If you're like, man, I don't know how to share the gospel. I feel awkward about sharing the gospel. Just invite them to church. We'll share the gospel with them. They will hear the good news. But just know that all need to be reconciled with Christ before they die. Secondly, restoration means we will be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 21. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, this is Adam in the fall, by a man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, has come also for the resurrection of the dead. The Nicene Creed, which is an incredible Trinitarian creed that was written in 325 AD to establish like the Godhead against all the uh, just falsehoods that were being said and spread, the very last, after they're like the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the very last phrase, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, amen. That's the punctuation. That's the amen, it's like we are looking, not in this life. In this life, it's like, it's passing away, subject to decay. We're looking for what's to come, the life everlasting. And amen is a Greek word that means so let it be, let it be so, verily. It's like that amen is yes, Lord, let it be. And so I brought an acorn from our front yard. We have a red oak that I, I can't get my arms around. Someday it'll crush our roof probably, but it's, I can't get my arms around it so big. And it began as this. And I think what happens in this life, especially here in America, I think we focus really hard on the here and now. And we're trying to like polish up this acorn and make it super great. And God's like, no, whoever loses his life will gain it. Like, God's looking for what's to come. We're to live for eternity, with eternity in mind, for the resurrection, the life to come. And instead, we're focusing on what's subject to decay, this little acorn. God's like, no, I'm after these like oaks of righteousness. I'm after forever and eternity and the immortality of souls. They're gonna spend forever in heaven and hell. Live the gospel, church. And thirdly, restoration of the new heaven and new earth. You know, I'm reading the news this week, and it's like the, the, the horrific tornadoes in Kentucky. And then I'm going to share a headline that I think, like all of you probably know that, but then another one that I think probably not many know about, because it's not in our, in our backyard. 600 women and children were abducted in Mozambique by militant Muslims to be raped and sold as soldiers, as, as, as wives, children, brides, two soldiers. It like barely even hits the news. I follow this Christian news. That's how I even picked up on it. Like nobody's reporting that on BBC or anything. 600. And y'all, one day, all that's going away. The horrible tornadoes in Kentucky, the abductions in Mozambique, all the evil that's happening all around and within will go away. Revelation 21 as the restoration of the new heaven and new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is Emmanuel that we sing about now in Christmas, and there is a second Emmanuel, a second Advent. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And he, listen to these words, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. Restoration of your soul, restoration to God's people, restoration to God's dwelling place. I started today by talking about our home that's in need of restoration, that 55-year-old home. And whenever a contractor comes, you know what we do? We're like, hey, here's the key. Doors are unlocked. Go wherever you need to. Crawl space, attic, get in the, you know, under the sinks. Tear down what you need to. They get the all-access pass. We just trust them because we know that they are there to shape, rebuild, repair, renew. We want them there. And so it is with God, and and C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild the house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks on the roof, and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Church, give God the keys. Give him the keys to your soul. Give him the keys to your mind. Give him the keys to your body. Turn everything over to him because what he is after is restoration of you, for you, unto himself. With your body and your mind and all your sin-sick longings, the brokenness, the aches, all of it, he is after the restoration. And so let him in. It says that he stands at the door and knocks. Will you open the door of your heart and let him in? Because if you don't, it will mean further deterioration. But if you do, restoration. The restoration of God will be upon you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you restore that you said loudly from the throne, behold, I am making all things new, not better, not cleaned up, but new. And so Lord, with our hands lifted heavenward, you stand at the door and knock, we will let you in, Lord, let you into our soul, our body, our mind, it's all yours. We have been bought with a price, therefore honor you with our body. We're not our own. And the opposite would just mean further deterioration, but as we surrender to you and walk with you, it's all restoration. So God, be glorified, be exalted as we sing these praises to you. Amen.